Hello, and welcome to Decarbonize, the clean energy podcast from Fresh Energy. Fresh Energy is a Minnesota nonprofit working to speed our state's transition to a clean energy economy. My name is Joel Olson. I do communications here at Fresh Energy, and I'm excited to share with you today a recording of our recent conversation with author, expert, and Fresh Energy board member, Eric Passy. He joined Fresh Energy's Ben Passer for a discussion about breaking into a career in the green recovery, his new book, and much more. But before I begin the recording, I want to remind everyone that Give to the Max Day is November 19th here in Minnesota. You can celebrate this unofficial giving holiday by making a donation to Fresh Energy today. Just go to givemn.org and search Fresh Energy. And if you're listening to this after the 19th, don't worry. You can still make a donation today and always at fresh-energy.org. And with that, Let's get started. Thank you, everyone, for um, being here uh, this afternoon. Um, so my name is Ben Passer. Um, I'm the director of uh, Fresh Energy's Energy Access and Equity Program. Um, I'm joined today with author and expert and Fresh Energy board member, uh, Eric Passy. Um, Eric is the chief development officer at IPS Solar, and he's written a fantastic book uh, titled Clean Wave. I've got it uh, here with me. Um, and that is what prompted uh, us to have this webinar um, here today. Um, so I'm going to turn things over to Eric, and he'll tell us a bit about himself and his background and what prompted him to write Clean Wave. And then after that, um, we'll have a discussion about some of the main themes that uh, stood out to me uh, when I read his book, and we'll um, open it up to uh, questions from the audience as well. Um, so with that, I'll turn it over uh, to Eric uh, to share a little bit more about his book. Thanks so much, Ben. Thank you, Joe, and thank you to Fresh Energy for hosting me today. I am so excited to launch this book uh, called Clean Wave, A Guide to Success in the Green Recovery, which came out formally uh, about three weeks ago. Um, a little bit uh, before I launch into what the book is about, I think it would be helpful to start at the beginning and tell you a little bit more about me. Um, ben had given a, a brief uh, in introduction um, but I am a, a first-time author. I am extremely passionate about the climate issue, and, and I'll get into that uh, here in a minute. Uh, and I'm also the Chief Development Officer at, uh, of IPS, uh, Impact Power Solutions, um, a solar development and construction company based in Roseville, doing uh, solar projects across the country. Uh, this is a photo of me uh, staring intently toward the future of energy. And um, I do consider myself uh, an energy futurist, and I'm um, extremely passionate about bringing those solutions to the fore um, over the last uh, uh, dozen plus years of my career. I started with uh, IPS um, back in 2007. I was a fresh uh, graduate from the University of Minnesota. Uh, Carlson School of Management, um, like a lot of students, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, and that was an understatement. I, I think, uh, you know, I spent, I had a brief stint as a uh, semi-professional musician. Um, I was considering going into aerospace engineering, but then saw that those classes started at uh, 8 a.m. and uh, decided to go into something more palatable, business 
Um, and you know, it's pretty silly to, to think back on, on your, your teenage uh, sleeping habits as a indicator for what you want to do in your career. But uh, nonetheless, um, in 2006, I, I was like many uh, folks, very struck by the science behind climate and uh, an inconvenient truth, which is a, a documentary that had come out that year. And so I started to do some investigation into, you know, what, what can I do that really speaks to me if I wake up in the morning that I'm excited about, I'm passionate about, and um, wanting to do some good in the world. Uh, a lot of my contemporaries at that time went into, you know, kind of cushy or jobs with uh, Fortune 500s like Target, Cargill, um, and, and other uh, kind of local companies. And I, I really wanted to stretch myself. I, I found... Um, that uh, clean energy and solar specifically was on a 40% year over year growth curve um, at that time. And it was exciting, it spoke to me, I'm, I'm kind of a, a closet nerd. Um, and so the science, the math, uh, technology, everything boiled together really, um, really spoke to me that this is, this is the place uh, that I wanna, I wanna launch a career. And so I, I sent out my resume to a couple dozen uh, clean energy companies and IPS was the only one uh, to to call me uh, call me back. I started off in sales. I hated the idea of sales. Um, it still is a little weird for me to to think about it. But um, you know, my perceptions really changed when I found that um, it, sales really means helping people and solving problems. And um, and so this is a photo of me earlier on in my career um, where I also did installation work. Um, IPS was a small company at that time. So I was able to see multiple sides of the business, uh, everything from installing equipment to meeting with, with homeowners and business owners to talk about solutions that could uh, help them reduce costs and, and clean up their environmental footprint. Uh, this project was um, at a farm, uh, actually in Chisago County, for Dins um, Cheese. They they uh, uh, manufacture cheese uh, and and also uh, harvest um, and host bison on their property. So 40 kilowatt array, and really, uh, I, I dive into the story a little bit in the book, um, where you know we Ed, who's the the farmer there wanted to install uh, solar to offset some of his electricity costs at the at his uh, cheese and bison ranch, but then also was interested years later when we reapproached him about doing a community solar array on his property. Uh, next slide, please. And uh, flash forward uh, several years and uh, you can kind of see the solar array in the in the very, very uh, far corner of the 40 kilowatt array. And this is a five megawatt array. Uh, and so really, um, talking about kind of, I've been at the advent of the scale of, of solar in, in Minnesota and the country. Um, one of my favorite statistics, 98% of all solar that's been installed in the country has, has been done since 2010. And um, we're on an exponential growth curve and that's what has me really excited about solar in the, in the 2020s and clean energy uh, in, in general. Uh, next slide, please. A little bit more about my passion and my background. Um, photo in the, there in the center is a photo of my, uh, my dad, um, who was an immigrant from uh, Tonga, which is a uh, archipelagic nation in the South Pacific. 
he immigrated to the U.S. Um, in the late 70s and uh, met my mom um, in Hawaii, where, which is where I was born. Um, in 2014, I had the fortune, uh, good fortune of visit Tonga, um, which are what the outside um, uh, pictures are, are representing. And his home, um, where he came from, it, it is in Nuku'alofa, which is a city uh, that's only about 10 feet above sea level. And um, meeting uh, my family, uh, uncles and aunts that I'd never met before, cousins I'd never, never met before, seeing the history of his people and my, my ancestors um, really accelerated the, the urgency for me to do whatever I can to affect positive uh, change related to the climate crisis. Uh, unfortunately, um, uh, in 2015, uh, my father passed away from, from heart disease, and um, which further solidified my um, really internal drive to, to, to do whatever I can to preserve his legacy and the legacy of my ancestors. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, almost to the point where um, in, in 2013 and 2014, I went out to Hawaii actually and, and uh, was, met with my, my dad and, and, and other people to talk about solar. Um, and I ended up uh, developing a few projects uh, on the big island of Hawaii uh, for, some, uh, for a few condo associations. And, um, you know, unfortunately, my dad wasn't able to see uh, the results of, you know, of our discussions and um, in my, in our, our work out there, but um, progress continues and, and we'll be building uh, our, my third uh, developed project out there uh, next year. Next slide. So that brings it home to, you know, what, uh, what really drives me today, um, you know, aside from, um, you know, ju climate justice and uh, is my, are my kids. Uh, I got a one and a half year old and a five year old uh, Kate and Lillian, and um, they're the light of my life. And I uh, think about their future, much like many folks who are, are in the uh, clean energy industry, uh, think about their, um, their families as uh, a driving force behind their uh, passion. Uh, next slide, please. So that boils into uh, Clean Wave, which um, I've uh, been toiling over over the last uh, couple of years, uh, actually since Lillian was born. Um, and uh, the book, uh, which uh, Ben showed, um, uh, is a guide of past, present, and future clean tech uh, with actionable advice for career seekers. And I go through um, not only uh, anecdotes from my own story, but also um, interviews with, with luminaries in the field. Um, and and it's, uh, it's been re, uh, rewritten a few times. I was set to release it this, uh, this spring. Um, and then we, we ran into a global pandemic uh, to which I, I felt uh, definitely needed to, 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 to comment on. And opine on, on the impacts uh, and, and, the, and the reasons behind um, uh, the, the pandemic. Uh, and then was set to release again in the summer when we um, unfortunately witnessed the, the murder of George Floyd and um, the rising racial justice uh, movement. And so it's succinct, uh, the book, um, I, I rewrote it to, to really address how do we move forward in a recovery effort uh, through the lens 
of climate justice and, in, and environmental justice, um, while also giving a background on what, um, what the, the industry is and what the industry means. So my 13 years uh, in the field and, and growing um, what was the, I think in 2018, uh, IPS was the fastest growing company in, in the state, um, according to uh, Inc. Magazine and Minneapolis St. Paul Business Journal. Um, just a, a lens to, to what's happened and what's to come. And I'm so excited to, to share it um, with everybody and really um, happy to have this discussion here uh, today with you, Ben. Great. Well, thank you so much for that background, Eric. And uh, thank you for being here. I'm, I'm really excited to dig in with you. Um, so at this point, I just want to take a bit of time here to dig into, um, as I mentioned, some of the main themes that, you know, really stood out to me in reading your book. Um, and then after that, I think we'll um, open it up uh, to some audience questions. Um, so folks who are um, here with us this afternoon, please feel free, as Joe mentioned, to use the Q&A function in Zoom. Um, and we'll be compiling questions there. And um, as, as time allows, we'll, we'll definitely dig into your questions as well. Um, so Eric, just to get us started, um, I, I think a, a note that you um, just kind of ended on, um, which uh, really stood out to me as I was reading your book, um, was how you really, you know, took a step back and reframed Clean Wave um, in the light of, frankly, a, a really difficult and tragic and trying uh, 2020. Um, and uh, you, you talk about um, how disadvantaged communities um, have the most to gain from a green recovery. Um, could you talk a little bit more about why you believe that? And could you give some examples of how that might show up? Absolutely. Uh, so research has shown that uh, lower income households disproportionately pay more uh, of their income toward energy costs. And, um, you know, to the tune of about 50%. Uh, for low-income households um, out of their budgets, and so if uh, and and as we um, you know create more efficiencies in their homes, uh, provide uh, cost stability uh, through rooftop solar or other other measures, um, they disproportionately have more to gain um, compared to you know wealthier households, and these are also communities that have been uh, you know frankly, um, their, their communities have been exposed by, um, uh, for, um, for economic gain by, uh, by corporations and polluters. And um, so we've seen, uh, you know, decades and decades of um, exploitation, and that's resulted in, um, you know, certain areas where uh, asthma rates are are many times uh, higher than in um, you know more affluent neighborhoods, and so to the extent that we you know aren't using fossil fuels in these frontline uh, communities, to the extent we're we're investing in um, green and electrified transportation in these uh, in these neighborhoods, um, will have a an outsized impact compared to um, you know providing the same opportunities in other other neighborhoods. And it's a way, you know, I think a lot of us have reflected back on, um, you, you know, especially communities of color and black communities and, um, and, and the, uh, just the, the ex again, the exploitation and the, um, uh, and the issues uh, that, that have affected them and, and how, you know, 
how can we um, start to mend those wounds and, 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 and address those issues? And clean energy, at least from my perspective, is certainly one way um, to, uh, to, to start, um, start down that road. I, I think that's really, really well said, Eric, and I, I appreciate um, you bringing those perspectives. I, I mean, I think in addition to, you know, the communities that you um, talk about here at home, um, you know, I think just to kind of tie it to uh, your, your heritage and your family story, um, I mean, we're seeing right now in Central America um, the recurring effects of climate change and the worsening of hurricanes hitting that area, and those are, um, you know, countries that have you know, historically been exploited or are under-resourced. And so I think the, you know, the, Im the imperative of really ensuring that we're working to benefit under-resourced communities and communities of color um, is, is true, not, you know, just here at home, but, but really around the globe. And, and so I just appreciate you, you know, raising that perspective and, and really, you know, making that um, part and parcel of, of, your, um, of your book and, and, you know, the perspectives that you bring. Um, I think, you know, to, to touch on um, the statistic that you raised in your, your presentation about how quickly development has happened in such a short period of time, um, could you speak a little bit more about um, just trends that you're seeing in uh, American energy markets along those lines and just, you know, where, where you see um, energy markets heading in, in the years to come? Absolutely. And, and this is through the lens, my own lens, right? And, and I may be slightly biased, but we have turned a page at this point in, um, in our history where clean energy is not only the cheapest new energy source, but it's cheaper than operating existing assets as we've seen uh, in, in, in many areas of the country where coal plants um, are just no longer economical. And um, you know, there's, there's a, a justice issue there as well in, in transitioning some of these entrenched communities that have relied on jobs and prosperity from, from the uh, uh, fossil fuel industry and, and migrating and, and providing opportunities to them uh, to reposition into a clean energy economy. Um, but it's very evident that that is, that is the direction that we're headed. Um, I think uh, for, for its part, solar has done a, an, a, actually like an astounding job of driving costs down, um, and I've seen uh, it firsthand. Where you know, we from when I started in 2007, the price of um, you know a, a wholesale price of solar was about four dollars a watt. Um, today, it's you know around thirty cents per watt, and um, large and due in large part to uh, to tariffs uh, as to why it's not even lower than that. Uh, we've seen in areas like um, Australia and, and Europe where people are paying around 20 cents, uh, uh, organization paying around 20 cents for wholesale uh, solar uh, panels. And that's allowed us to, you know, hit goals that, uh, uh, that we had set from, you know, earlier uh, in this uh, decade, uh, or I should say toward uh, around 2010, um, when the uh, Obama administration launched the SunShot program with the goal of reducing costs uh, for installed solar in the country to $1 uh, per watt. And we are well below that now uh, on the wholesale um, or on the utility scale side uh, of, of the equation where we're probably closer to 70 cents and maybe, maybe less. So the cost declines are real. 
we're starting to see similar cost declines in uh, other uh, other areas such as energy storage, which it which will be um, kind of the defining um, you know factor in the 20, uh, 2020s related to uh, to energy, uh, where we're no longer reliant on gas peaker plants. We can replace those uh, and and um, scrap plans for new uh, peaker plants by installing much more versatile, much faster to deploy energy storage systems. Um, and, and the cost curves, uh, as I mentioned, are very similar uh, to, to solar. And we've got um, really the sky's the limit with energy storage. There's so many different chemistries, so many different um, use cases for, for it. Um, you know, we're gonna see energy storage not only revolutionize the, um, the you know, traditional electricity markets, but also transportation and uh, do so at a much more accelerated time uh, frame uh, than, than any of us had predicted probably five to 10 years ago. Um, and so I, I do feel, um, you know, nuclear will, will continue to, to play a role, existing nuclear, um, until we, we have a breakthrough with, you know, maybe faster and, and more safe uh, deployable uh, smaller nuclear uh, facilities. Uh, just the costs uh, right now are just are really uh, out of uh, out of step with what we're seeing in in uh, solar and wind, um, but we do and and will need baseline um, outside of uh, you know solar plus storage and solar plus um, uh, solar plus or wind plus storage uh, as we decarbonize the uh, electricity and and transportation sectors. So. Um, the, the, the trends are, are real um, when you're seeing all resource RFPs and RFPs from utility companies. Um, we're, we're consistently breaking new records, um, not only in the U.S., but also in, in places like the Middle East, where um, we're seeing sub two cent per kilowatt hour PPAs uh, being signed. And, and those are, you know, without significant subsidies uh, for those projects. Um, we're we're just we're seeing a, a, a turn, um, you know, again, not only from um, utilities, many of whom, including Excel, are, are now um, you know, stating goals of 100% uh, clean energy, you know, RPS standards, et cetera, by 2050, but also corporate, uh, corporate America and, and global um, corporations uh, making similar uh, commitments. At an even you know more accelerated time time period and and so it's the confluence of um, you know markets and technology that are bringing us to an inflection point or have brought us past an inflection point where um, the uh, clean energy future is imminent. Thanks, Eric. Those are great insights, and um, I, I know I think you spend at least one chapter really doing a, a thorough walkthrough of some of the kind of emerging and future trends in clean tech. And I'll just say, you know, as someone who works in energy policy all day, every day, I, I really appreciated, um, you know, just you taking the time to, to dig into um, where some of those technologies have been, but also where they're going. And, you know, for me, um, was just a really uh, helpful, um, informative resource. And, you know, I, I think, you know, I'll definitely continue to, to consult this book going forward as kind of a, a cheat sheet, so to speak. Um, just backing up to solar specifically, um, and, and here in Minnesota, um, Minnesota has a huge community solar market, I, I think the biggest in the country. Um, so, you know, for, for someone who works in 
uh, in that market specifically, um, to what would you attribute its success? And are there any things that, you know, policymakers uh, in Minnesota and, and really, you know, to other states looking to Minnesota as a model um, could, could, you know, leverage to improve on in the future? Yeah, I, um, I talk a, a bit about community solar in, in the book and specifically Minnesota. I, I, that's been part of my maturation um, in, in business. And um, I attribute a lot of it uh, to being in the right place at the right time. And um, we uh, were at a front row seat in 2013 with the passage of the 2013 Solar Jobs Act. And I would um, be remiss if, if not to give a lot of credit to, to the Fresh Energy team. Um, it's a reason that I am enthusiastically, you know, supporting the organization and I'm so glad to be, uh, you know, part of the, the board um, is, the, is the leadership aspect. And so what had happened, I think, in 2013 um, after uh, the 2012 uh, elections, we, we had a, um, a Democratic uh, governor, uh, Senate, and, and House. Um, we were looking to, and by we, I mean kind of the, the renewable energy uh, coalition, um, which was you know, comprised of uh, NGOs such as Fresh Energy, but also a lot of industry groups. Um, we're able to look at other markets like Colorado, for instance, where Excel had an existing community solar program at that time. And we're able, we're in the envious position of saying, okay, well, what if we could just start over? And what are some of the roadblocks? What are the, some, some of the issues that um, are, are standing in our way uh, of progress? And really what Fresh Energy fought for, the industry fought for, which I didn't appreciate as much at the time, but was to create a market that was um, uncapped and um, had the ability that if there was interest in the program and uh, that there wouldn't be any, uh, anything to impede the, the progress and the deployment um, at scale. Uh, so it, it was really looking to these kind of other earlier community solar markets, taking away things that, um, that made a lot of sense and then um, getting lawmakers on board. And I think the um, to clean energy's credit, um, as, as an industry, we've been very good about talking about some of these ancillary benefits. Not only are we uh, investing in infrastructure, we're also, in, in the case of community solar, providing um, savings to, to communities and, and residents. Um, we're providing and creating jobs and jobs and infrastructure that can't be outsourced. Um, there are so many um, benefits um, to, and we've been very good about communicating those benefits to, to policymakers and to the public um, to, to garner support. And ultimately uh, we, we passed that 2013 Solar Jobs Act and um, you know, kind of the rest, the rest is history. Now, uh, you know, flash forwarding to today, where Minnesota has more community solar. Uh, the rest of the, the country is catching up quickly, but um, you know, as of a, a year or two ago, more community solar than the rest of the country combined. And, um, and so now, you know, as, as IPS is growing and we're looking at other markets and becoming more involved in policy creation, um, we're able to, to, to talk uh, very pointedly about the, the benefits and, and the, um, uh, the history that we've had in Minnesota and what, we, and what those states and markets can take away 
um, from from Minnesota to create an even even better and more robust uh, you know programs across the country uh, moving forward. Absolutely, I, I think those those lessons learned are, are super important, Eric, and I, I appreciate you kind of walking through how we got to this point um, as well. Um, and of course, appreciated the plugs for, for fresh energy. Um, <laughs> so you talk in the book, um, it, just to, to expand on that a little bit, you talk in the book about the importance of grassroots organizing and advocacy organizations um, really just, you know, working uh, in tandem with or kind of complementary to um, industry efforts. And I would be curious to dig more into that, um, just kind of talk a little bit more about the importance of, of those organizations. Um, and then also, I think you alluded to it a little bit, but just kind of how the evolution of policy and the development of the, the clean energy market in Minnesota influenced your own career path. Yeah. Um, very uh, loaded questions, but, um, you know, I think um, from, from my vantage point, at least, you know, the, Minnesota uh, and and uh, and community solar, um, you know, th they've been bedrocks of of uh, you know our our uh, uh, the what we've seen in, in terms of progress. Now, I will say that um, like anybody, uh, or I shouldn't say anybody, but especially in clean energy, we need to pay uh, respect um, to like the symbi symbiosis right that exists. Um, between industry and then ad, and advocacy and, and policy, and we're in a you know somewhat of a, an interesting position because um, energy is so uh, heavily regulated. Um, it it does require a lot of policy that we we need to show broad support um, for what we do. And in terms of symbiosis too, I mean we need we need to be giving back as much as we're we're, we're receiving in in terms of uh, of support. And I, I think that is extremely important and in a, in a point that is missed, I think, on, by, some, by, by some in our industry. And so, you know, talking a little bit back about the 2013, job, 2013 Solar Jobs Act, I mean, I was phone canvassing with uh, Sierra Club in the evenings and, you know, and on weekends. And um, I was, you know, standing outside at theaters with flyers and, you know, it, it, did it really move the needle? I, you know, I can't say for sure, but it helped me feel like I was doing as much as I could. And, and I think that the more, um, you know, organizations and the public see that we're living our ethos, we are fighting for what we believe in, that we, um, we will continue to see, you know, groundswell of, of, of support um, for, for what we do. Um, and so, uh, I hope that answers at, at least in part, you know, your, your question. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that's great advice and just great insight into the importance of, you know, the different roles, uh, that the different organizations can play. Um, so I, I wanted to touch on a specific, uh, quote or, or section in your book, um, that, that really stuck with me. Um, and, and you talk about, um, entrepreneurship and what it means to you and, um, I think if I have it here, um, you say entrepreneurship means looking for lines. And that really just stuck with me. And I, I think about it, <laughs> I think about it quite a bit. Um, could you share with our audience what you mean by that? And, and just kind of, I guess, illustrate a few more examples. Yeah. So um, entrepreneurship, I mean, it's, uh, when we're working with a small business, um, 
in a small business like IPS, I mean, we are entrepreneurs to the core. I mean, we had to create, basically create our, we had to create our own future. And a lot of that was kind of winging it and, um, you know, just, just trying things and, and, uh, and, and failing, um, you know, often, and, you know, I guess for, for us a, a little less often than, than when we succeed. Um, but when, when I mentioned looking for lines, um, it, it's, it's trying to, to find a better way to do things. And when, you know, you're, for instance, at Target and you saw a bunch of people, you know, um, and this is the most literal uh, ver version of, of looking for lines, but, uh, you know, folks that are, are waiting to have their, their items scanned, uh, well, you know, people figured out, uh, retail figured out that it's faster to let people just check themselves out um, and create the technology and the, the process for people to do that. Uh, I think you, we're going to see, um, you know, similar uh, issues or, or opportunities uh, in, in the clean energy sector. Um, you know, when, when uh, it, whether it's, you know, doing all at, at this point, you know, we've, we've seen um, because of the pandemic, uh, solar companies, moving to 100% online sales and online outreach and um, trying to smooth the, the process from um, creating interests to all the way to installing the, the projects on your roof. And, and that is part of a big push by industry to make the process faster, more streamlined and less expensive. So I think, um, you know, those are just maybe a couple of examples of, of looking for lines seeing the lines and then, uh, you, you know, doing something, uh, doing something about it. That's great. Um, so in, in clean wave, uh, and I think you mentioned this in your, your uh, presentation a little bit earlier as well. Um, you talk about how the first, um, kind of career opportunity you had was, was in sales. And, uh, you, you said it again today, um, as you do in your book, but, uh, you, you hated the idea of sales <laughs> and, um, I was wondering if you could share more, you know, of that job search story. Um, and then also for our audience, uh, just share any advice that you have for career seekers um, who might find opportunities that don't completely align with their interests and, and kind of where um, that might be able to take them. Yeah. So I, um, you're right. I did not like the idea of sales. I still am a little bit cringy when it comes to talking about it. Um, but I, I did find that again, once, you know, I kind of reframed the thinking around it, I was more, much more, um, you know, confident and comfortable, uh, with it. Um, the, I, I would say that there's definitely going to be instances where there may be, you know, a, a an opportunity that's outside of your comfort zone, um, whether you're formally, not formally trained in something, but willing to learn, or your, um, you know, maybe it's uh, a, an opportunity that doesn't exist in in Minnesota or or wherever you you live, and, and that may require you to relocate, um, which may be easier now uh, if if you're able to work remote. Um, but I think it's it's really um, about showca showcasing and 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 living that passion, right? So if you if you have a passion for something and, and you have a passion for clean energy. Um, that's like 90% of the battle. Like when we are hiring, we are looking for people that live those ethos and align culturally. And culture is a huge, you know, hot button topic now for organizations and, 
um, but building uh, the those types of commitments and an ethos and, um, and, and, and that passion is something that you as an employer cannot teach. And so um, I would not shy away, you know, in, in instances where it might not be a hundred percent, you know, fit, but, but being, uh, you know, passionate, networking your way in, um, not taking no for an answer, you know, to some, you know, to some degree of decency, uh, is, is how I think, you know, people are able to, 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 to find, um, employment and gainful employment and success. Um, even if, you know, it, again, you, you're not, you don't have, I had zero sales experience. Um, and it, you know, turned out to be one of the best decisions of, of my life and, and just living outside that comfort zone, um, is where I think a lot of people find, um, you know, personal growth and, and development. So um, that's, yeah, that's what I'd say about that. Definitely. I, I think that's, that's great advice. Um, and in just, I think a minute or two, we'll shift gears to um, taking questions from the audience. So um, looks like there's a few um, already uh, filling in, but um, if you haven't had a chance to pop in with your question yet, please feel free to uh, drop it in the Q and A uh, box in Zoom. Um, before we shift to those Q&A questions, uh, Eric, I wanted to ask you, um, if everyone listening to this webinar uh, today walks away and does one thing based on our discussion, uh, what would it be? What, what, what would you recommend? Um, get involved. And, and whatever that means to you, um, and, and that's uh, maybe selfish, unselfishly, besides going to cleanwavebook.com and checking out the content, um, I think that the more people are invested, um, not necessarily monetarily, but just from your own personal standpoint, um, the more that you're invested in, in, in what you believe in and, and the cause, and if clean energy is, is that for you, the, then the, the faster we're all going to get to a point um, where we're, uh, where we're, um, you know, living in the future that we, that we want. Um, and I think nothing is more evident than, uh, to that point than what we've seen in the last election cycle, um, related to climate. I mean, um, there wasn't one question on climate in the previous, uh, presidential debate, and it was front and center multiple times in the two debates, uh, uh, in the two debates. And, um, and when we saw exit polling from voters in, in 2020, um, it was one of the top, you know, two to three issues that um, voters were, were resonating with and concerned about. And so I think that shows the, the, uh, the how, how things have just catapulted. Um, and, and in large part due to grassroots movements uh, from, from folks like the Sunrise uh, Sunrise Movement uh, from, you know, 100% uh, campaigns uh, to, to all sorts of environmental NGOs and, and other people who worked hard to, to elevate the, the issue. And I think, um, you know, as people, uh, again, are thinking about, you know, what can I do? It's, it's getting involved and, um, and pushing, continuing to push the, the narrative and, and, uh, and push, uh, you know, our elected officials to do something um, related to climate and, and uh, to uh, related to clean energy. 
get involved. And I think that's that's a great takeaway. Uh, thank you, Eric. Um, so now I think we'll shift over to um, questions from the audience. And um, the first question uh, is from Catherine. Um, and, and I think this kind of goes back to uh, what we were talking about earlier, Eric, around just the importance of uh, creating opportunities for uh, historically under-resourced, underserved communities, um, Black, Indigenous, people of color communities, but also thinking about what this transition means for um, all communities, including those who, um, you know, have historically um, been economically dependent on fossil fuels. Um, and so uh, the question that Catherine asked is how communities can find funding uh, for training in the clean energy industry um, for both um, BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, people of color communities, and uh, folks who currently work in fossil fuel industries. Yeah, there um, there are actually quite a bit of res there are quite a few resources out there for for communities. Um, so whether it's at if it's at the public level, um, pushing uh, officials to adopt standards like a Green Step Cities program in um, in Minnesota, uh, or you know from the utility standpoint, there are a lot of free resources available at the at the homeowner business owner level um, to review you know what what things that you can do and implement to help reduce, you know, your, your, um, uh, your energy costs and, and um, environmental footprints. So I think it really, um, really depends. There are also, you know, for somewhat larger uh, issues, um, you know, for, uh, if it's a planning grant, um, there are, are groups like the clean energy resource teams, which is funded and um, kind of spearheaded, I guess, by the university of Minnesota. Um, and then also uh, grants that are available via um, foundations like the McKnight Foundation, who um, fund, uh, you know, uh, ideas that that maybe you know institutional um, investment or or other or the other grant opportunities that aren't um, uh, aren't doing. And so a lot of them have like different and varied um, timing in terms of when um, they're accepting applications. And so. Uh, there's, you know, we, we have, I have some of those resources listed on my website and in the resources, uh, section. Um, but there are, are, there's a lot, there are a lot of, uh, of resources out there. Um, and, and people, um, you know, there, there are some areas where they, you know, where those resources are, are accumulated in one spot. So you can kind of check them out, but, um, I'd encourage you to, uh, to maybe follow up with me afterwards and, and I can give you, uh, some, some heads up on, on, on where those might be. I think that's great. Uh, cleanwavebook.com, follow up with Eric. Um, I'll just, you know, mention from a policy perspective, just, you know, kind of looking to examples from other states. Um, I think Illinois is one of the, you know, clear examples of really, you know, combining um, clean energy investments, job training programs, and really direct investments in under-resourced communities and communities of color. Um, so, you know, I think that if this is of interest, you know, just kind of scanning around the country for other policy examples, um, you know, I, I think Illinois um, is, is at least one um, great example here in the Midwest to, to kind of, um, you know, look to to start. Um, but I, I think that's great, Eric, and, and I'm, you know, I'm sure, um, you know, many additional resources on your website as well. Um, Next question uh, in the Q&A um, is uh, really kind of focused around um, getting started in this industry. Um, so uh, this question asks, uh, being a recent college graduate, um, an emerging professional, but not necessarily having formal training um, in the clean energy uh, sector, um, 
would this uh, individual have to go back to school? Would, would you recommend going back to school to, to get started um, in the industry? Or is there another opportunity to really, you know, gain experience on the job and grow in the industry that way? Yeah, so I, um, I love this question. Uh, so I think there are a couple of ways to go about it. When, when somebody is transitioning kind of newish into the industry, um, what I would suggest is either going lateral to, to the same type of position that you're currently in, um, but in a role that's in a, at a clean energy company, um, or uh, you, you uh, so that, that's the easiest way, um, I think. And then, but you, but you don't, what you don't want to do really is uh, try to transition and, and move into a, whole, a totally different job title. Um, so you'd want to kind of move into something that you're comfortable with and then move up or, or, or beyond from there. Um, but for instance, if you wanted to get into like a financial role, you're in, you're in, um, uh, marketing currently, I would, I would try to go back to school or to, to try to train in different vertical to get some of that experience first before hopping over into, uh, into the clean energy uh, market. But I don't believe that you'd need to necessarily go back, uh, to school. And I think, um, you know, as I asked uh, that from a student recently about, you know, should I just go straight into grad school? Um, I think a lot of people have different opinions about that. But I think in terms of um, the clean energy industry, I mean, people are rewarded for experience and for, um, you know, passion and commitment more so than a resume. Um, and so it's, it's just getting into those, um, those opportun earlier opportunities, you know, kind of, um, first in, in getting experience. Uh, there are also some accelerator programs that are really um, uh, interesting around the country and um, the resources uh, page on uh, cleanwavebook.com has some of the, that information listed there, uh, but where you kind of get into a cohort of, um, of like-minded individuals and, you know, for a three-month term, you're, you're really like an accelerated um, the learning opportunity, uh, learning opportunity, and from there, uh, job placement in clean energy is extremely high because people are looking for those people that have, um, you know, the talent and the drive um, to to succeed in 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 the industry. So I would say, you know, those would be a couple of points um, to take away. That's great, Eric. And and just as a follow up, I think you touch on this um, in the book, but one one question um, in the Q and A specifically is around tech jobs, and just asking. Um, for, you know, a little bit more information and perhaps examples of tech jobs that are available um, or emerging uh, in the clean energy economy? Yes. So um, software and uh, is a big piece to, to what we do. So anything from um, programming the trackers that work, you know, usually in, in the U.S. where we've got single axis trackers that are tracking the sun and that it gets complex when we're talking about um, different terrain and grade and making sure that the modules don't shade each other at certain times. So there's software and engineering that goes in into that space, as well as um, similarly in battery technology, when we're trying to match the output in terms of uh, voltage uh, to uh, match um, the, the load of different uh, facilities. And that, that all has to happen in, in microseconds at, at uh, uh, and really at, at scale. So there's, there's, a, there's a technology component um, or tech component to that. Uh, and then when you're moving into like actual, you know, engineering, um, tech engineering, there, there's, there, there are similar things that, you know, if you're uh, a car 
technician uh, person uh, working on technology that goes into uh, automotive, uh, obviously there's, you know, you can translate that into, um, you know, uh, electric vehicle automate, uh, automotive. Uh, but then there's also, you know, kind of similar uh, things, you know, related to, you know, electric drive trains and, and other things that are, are um, you know, part of, part of the, the other sectors within clean energy. Um, so there's, there's definitely, um, you know, tech is embedded in really in what we do. Um, and, and again, you know, whether it's, you know, creating more streamlined uh, manufacturing processes or, so, or the software side to, to um, you know, some of the things that I mentioned, uh, it, it, it's really driven by tech. Great. And I, I would imagine there's a whole host of support and assistance and, um, you know, related jobs that are, are needed um, with those jobs as well. Uh, thanks, Eric. Um, so the next question uh, is from, from Deb, um, and she asks um, a question around youth and, and really, you know, exposing youth to um, some career options in the clean energy field. Um, she says that the Youth Ego Solutions Program um, is planning um, how to work with middle and high school students uh, and exposing them to green careers. Um, and I know this is, I think, kind of a common theme in your book, but, um, you know, what recommend recommendations can you offer for um, younger people, middle and high school students? Um, and uh, how might, uh, that, the, you know, those, those folks or that program um, use your book um, in, in a way that can really, you know, encourage students to, to look into those uh, career opportunities? First of all, I love the YES program. I think it's fantastic. I was able to uh, present uh, to, to YES, I think probably like four years ago or maybe five years ago now. And I'm a huge proponent of providing really STEM learning opportunities for students. One of my favorite, you know, the, the things that I look back in my career, I've, I've done a lot of work with schools and, um, you know, developed curriculum for students and teachers related to how, how to interpret the data that are coming off of kind of these real-time and historic production numbers uh, created by solar arrays that are on the, on the roofs of, of schools. Um, and so uh, really, uh, it's a passion of mine. I think um, can do and, and should do and what, what uh, districts, you know, should do is continue to teach the science uh, behind climate and provide, um, you know, opportunities uh, for students to learn about, you know, what, what, is, what are some of these uh, tech, uh, what are, what are the, some of the solutions that are going to exist to combat climate and, and paint uh, and frame things in such a way that, that it is, you know, a, a positive really, and, and it is um, the largest wealth creation opportunity of, of our, of our life, uh, lifetimes. And um, for students to understand like, you know, there's, there's a lot more to uh, clean energy than just, you know, solar panel or wind turbine and, and really talking about the breadth and, and uh, of, of opportunities that are out there, whether that's in, um, you know, gr more sustainable agriculture or, um, you know, again, transportation, there, there's just a, a lot of routes that, that uh, students with different varied passions and, and backgrounds can can find uh, within clean energy. Uh, and it doesn't just have to be, you know, kind of a, a monolithic thing. Um, so I would, I would suggest there and, and yes, does a great job. I mean, um, you don't need my, my advice on, on how to engage students. You know, there's, 
um, by everything that you that they do uh, related to to creating you know kind of uh, capstone projects for students to really get their hands involved in, in doing activities and doing projects I mean that's the way to to really um, drive drive the messaging home is, is when kids can get engaged um, one of actually the the best uh, things that I've seen in the last couple of years was um, we had a, uh, a nonprofit uh, come to, to Minnesota. Uh, we share solar where students are able to put, put uh, uh, for certain districts, uh, they, they provide kits. The students put the kits together. There's a uh, QA uh, quality control component where they review these, these uh, solar suitcases uh, and then they send them to places uh, like it, they did this year into Sudan um, in the refugee camp. Uh, they install these, you know, solar suitcases where students can then uh, learn um, at night because they're, they're either burning kerosene lamps and, and those are, you know, toxic and, and uh, or, or, or expensive to run. Uh, they get installed and then at the end of, the, end of the year, end of the semester, they get a video from the kids that are impacted by these solar suitcases. And it's, it's just such a great uh, and, and um, unique program and it's things like that where kids are like wow you know like this is um you can change lives and that's um you know i think another example of of really like having these more impactful experiences with clean energy um that uh, that can move the needle i think those are those are great perspectives eric um so i i wanted to ask one more question from the q a um, and then I, I have uh, one more um, in, in my, my queue uh, to, to ask you. Um, so I'll just note now if um, we're not able to get to your question um, and you did share um, in the Q&A or in the chat, um, please feel free to follow up with Eric or me um, after the webinar and we'll you know, do our best to um, answer your questions. Um, but there's one question that I wanted to touch on in the Q&A. Um, I, I love this question um, from Matthew Jones um, and he asks, um, he's a, a recent grad. Um, he says, looking to ride the clean wave into a clean energy career. Um, and he asks uh, both of us, Eric, uh, to really compare and contrast what it's like to work um, in an NGO like Fresh Energy um, versus working, you know, more in a kind of squarely um, industry player like IPS. Um, so I'll turn it to you maybe just to kind of, you know, from your perspective, share a little bit more about, um, you know, the comparing and contrasting between working for IPS versus working um, at an organization like Fresh Energy. Yeah, I would think um, so. IPS, we're, we're very uh, we're very active in in multiple markets, multiple areas, and um, it's a very fast moving, uh, fast paced um, uh, organization. And I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that that's necessarily different, but it's different in different in different ways. Um, in which like we're we're trying to affect policy and make decisions that um, allow the business to grow. In, in multiple markets across the country. And um, that may, you know, be in slight contrast to being hyper-focused on kind of one area um, of a policy or, or specific market. Um, so I would see that that could be a, a differentiator. Um, and yeah, I, I, and that's probably the main one. Um, I, I realize we're running out of time, so maybe I'll, I'll flip it over to you, Ben. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. I think that's um, great insight. I mean, you know, of course, Fresh Energy um, and organizations like us are, you know, policy and regulatory work first. Um, but we are, you know, there's significant overlap in the fact that we are really trying to transform 
transform the market. Um, you know, we're in the business of market transformation. Um, and so, you know, I guess what I would say in response to that question is, you know, there are some, you know, of course, some obvious differences in our work, um, but there's a significant amount of over overlap too. And so, um, you know, I've just uh, been grateful for the opportunity to work with you over the years, Eric, and um, some of our partners in the industry space, um, really working cooperatively to help, you know, shape and drive um, policy um, at the legislature and elsewhere. So, um, you know, I, I think that's um, maybe a little bit more of a, <laughs> a softball than, than uh, you know, we were originally being asked, but um, I think there's a, you know, a significant amount of overlap and um, definitely, you know, when you work um, in this field, um, you're, you're definitely going to make partners from um, various parts, parts of the industry. Um, so I think just to wrap up with our questions here, I wanted to ask you, Eric, um, we promised our audience um, a little bit of a, an outlook um, into, uh, you know, kind of where things go from here. Um, you know, we are now in, in mid-November. Um, so I wanted to ask uh, what opportunities um, you're seeing within the solar market um, now that the 2020 election has passed and, and given um, the results of the election. Yeah, so I think there are, there's a lot to take away. Um, and I'll just start at the federal level first. I think um, we're going to see with divided, likely divided government, we don't know what's going to happen in Georgia in January, um, but uh, it's like, you know, likely if there is divided government, I know that at the outset, the very outset, there will be a lot um, of, of executive orders and executive actions that the uh, Biden administration will take, whether it's returning the Paris Accord, uh, reinstating CAFE standards, um, but probably the most impactful will be at FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, where we're likely to see very sweeping measures to allow for more um, onboarding of renewables and, and renewables projects, uh, hopefully accelerating uh, the, the, the queue and the timelines for deployment for those projects at a, at a larger utility scale level. Um, and, and really what, what the energy landscape is, is you know, kind of defaulted to at this point is that there's a lot of these kind of state level policies and market level policies and utility level policies that are in place um, that, that are kind of outside the jurisdiction necessarily of the, of the federal government. So you look at a lot of states in Minnesota, um, nothing really changed from the makeup. We're still going to have divided, uh, divided government in Minnesota as well. Um, so there's going to be a lot of compromising. Um, I think we're going to look to uh, much like at the federal level infrastructure packages that will allow for an investment in, uh, in clean clean energy solutions. Uh, you will see that likely in other uh, areas where we have Democratic governors like in um, uh, Washington uh, and Illinois uh, and other, other markets. And, and so it, it will be very interesting to see how these state level, uh, state level policies um, begin to mature um, here over the next uh, six months or so and what the uh, kind of the horse trading looks like um, to, uh, to achieve some policy goals. But I, I do feel like the, even just the executive actions that are likely to be taken at the federal level will have a big, uh, an, an outsized impact um, kind of moving into mid-2021. Definitely. I, I agree, Eric, and it, it should be uh, interesting to, to see what happens from here. Um, so I know we're um, just about a minute over time, um, so I think we'll move um, into uh, kind of our, our wrap up here. Um, but I wanted to thank you um, for the discussion, Eric, and uh, thank you everyone um, for joining us this afternoon. Thank you everyone for tuning in to the audio recording of our webinar. You can stay up to date on Fresh Energy's work via our blog at fresh-energy.org 
or follow us on social media. In the meantime, thank you everyone for listening and subscribing to our podcast. You can support Fresh Energy's work by making a donation today. Visit our website at fresh-energy.org and click donate in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening.